Welcome to G.I. Joe Chronicles, Outpost Edition. I trust your mission was equally well executed. I want a stone cold righteous attention. Militarily speaking, it's only fair to say that Cobra Commander is a world class buffoon. Welcome to G.I. Joe Chronicles, Outpost Episode 3. I am Jim Meal, also known as Jim the Joe Junkie. Over the course of this podcast, we intend to chronologically discuss the toys, comics, cartoons, and many other aspects of G.I. Joe, a real American hero, which is my favorite pop culture subject. Without getting too bogged down in the details, just my co-host and I having a conversation and reminiscing. Today we will be discussing the first 15 episodes of the Sunbow cartoon, which includes the first two miniseries, The Mass Device and The Revenge of Cobra, and the first five episodes of the first season, The Pyramid of Darkness. And of course, I'm not alone. Joining me today is the very special co-host, someone that has known me for a very long time, someone that was there in the beginning of my G.I. Joe origin, and in his own way, fuels my current G.I. Joe collecting habit. He is my brother, George Meal. Welcome to the Outpost, George. You've been here before. Usually you bring me toys and other items to add to my collection or to sell. But this time you're visiting so that we can discuss something that both of us enjoyed growing up, the Sunbow G.I. Joe cartoon. So before we begin, can you give a little bit of your G.I. Joe origin story? What do you remember from back in the day, and what are your interests now? Hello, Jim. Thanks for having me. I guess my original, the furthest I can remember, is very similar to probably yours, and that was when we were uh, going to Florida on that family trip, and uh, we got some comic books to read, and that kind of fueled the, the start. And you know, it was something that we both could relate on. We both were into. You know, we weren't too far apart in years. You know, we were growing up with Joe as uh, as it was coming out. Do you remember toy wise what your first toy was that you remember that you received? You know, I was trying to think of what my first toy was. The first one that I really remember was the whale. I'm sure there were ones before that, but the whale is the one that really sticks in in my mind. I remember you getting that one and was amazed at the all the pieces that came with it. That year, I believe I got the snowcat, maybe. I don't remember, but I thought that I got the snowcat that year. Yeah, I remember the snowcat. The snowcat was very cool. Well, what was your uh, first vehicle that you got? I think mine was a Sky Striker. I remember getting that one year. And that was, it might have been right around the same time you got the whale. So maybe we got those the same year. That would have been about the same price point. You know how Carrie liked to make sure that we all, we got the same amount of stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm sure that we got a smaller vehicle before that when we got some figures, because I can't see us just getting figures without, without some form of vehicle. No, I agree. So George, one of the reasons I wanted to record the cartoon portion of the outpost with you is that you haven't rewatched these episodes as often or as recently as I have. And I'll find it very interesting to hear your thoughts from this perspective. So how long has it been since you watched some of these episodes? I would have to say the last time I remember watching it was probably back in the mid to early 90s. You know, when I was in high school, I'm pretty sure I stopped watching after that. So after going back and watching all of these 15 episodes, what was your overall general thoughts? Uh, I'd have to say that they uh, they definitely held up over the test of time. Obviously, it was done in the 80s, so cartoons have come a long way since then. You know, I didn't remember all the details. I always I remember the most of the uh, the one-offs, not not so much the series. When they broadcast them, they just streamed them. You wouldn't even have thought that there was actually two different mini episodes or mini series. And then, of course, you had the all the seasons that all ran together. And when I went back to rewatch them. I realized that they were, and I it kind of dawned on me as the progression goes, which we'll discuss how each year had different new characters that they had to introduce, and it was it was a commercial. And when you're watching them as a kid, you didn't realize or think of them as a commercial. So, and now that we've discovered rediscovered some of your backstory, actually our backstory, let's talk a little bit about the GI Joe Sunbow cartoons. <laughs> Back to G.I. Joe. Early on, when Hasbro was launching their the Real American Hero toys, they hired Sunbow to create animated commercials for the toys and comic books. These commercials would evolve into the cartoons. In the fall of 1988, Sunbow released the first miniseries that would become known as The Mass Device. 
It was successful enough that a second miniseries, The Revenge of Cobra, was, was released in the fall of 1984. And by this time, the toy line and the comics were such a huge hit, a full season of the cartoon was inevitable. As I've discussed before, the combination of toys, comics, and cartoons were the perfect storm and seemed to be unstoppable. A full season of 55 episodes of the G.I. Joe cartoon was released in 1985. The first five episodes of the full series was a five-part miniseries that would become known as the Pyramid of Darkness. A second series was released in 86, beginning with the miniseries Arise, Serpento, Arise. This had fewer episodes. It only had 30. There was an animated movie in 1987. It was supposed to be a theatrical release. But due to the performance and pushback that Hasbro received after the animated Transformers movie, it was released directly to VHS and broke up into five episodes. Here in West Michigan, where George and I grew up, the cartoon was broadcast five days a week in the afternoons. I remember rushing home from school and grabbing a snack and watching the latest episode. I don't recall that there was much argument on which shows to watch. Now, there's something about the intro to any of the Geo cartoons that even now, when I hear it, I can't help but hum along. With the three miniseries that we watched, each of them had a different intro animation. And in the case of the mass device, only those five episodes had that version of the words that included against Cobra and Destro, which would be changed to Cobra the Enemy in the remainder of the Sunbow intros. I personally like the intro to the Revenge of Cobra miniseries. The characters they used, the scenes of the Joes and Cobras fighting, Zartan coming in on the chameleon, Firefly and Scrap Iron together, and then attacked by Mutt, Junkyard, and Blowtorch. It seemed to be a more almost intimate intro. So, George, which of these three were your favorite intros? Well, I'd have to say along uh, with as well as with yours, I, I really like the Revenge of Cobra. You know, like you said, with all the different action scenes and just nonstop and showing all the different figures, or not figures, but characters. It was just more more involved, you know, just like how where it started, where as soon as the garage door rolls up on, and everybody just starts rolling out action right out of the gate. I really enjoy that one. It seems that Sunbow hit on a very effective format with a five-part miniseries. Today, we will be discussing The Mass Device, Revenge of Cobra, and The Pyramid of Darkness. Let's begin discussing these miniseries in a segment we call, and again, this, these are all working titles. We may change them. This is what I came up with for this one. Action figures in motion. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. The first miniseries, A Real American Hero, or Mass Device, introduces the 1982 and 1983 characters. Cobra uses the Mass Device that enables troops and equipment to be transported over long distances instantly. The Joes build their own Mass Device, and both teams travel the world to gather the three elements that they need to power their respective devices. Duke gets captured, escapes with the help of a slave named Selena, but he can't remember where the Cobra headquarters is located. During the battle to gather radioactive crystals, Snake Eyes sacrifices himself to save the remaining team. He is saved by a wandering wolf, Timber, and healed by a bearded woodsman. Snake Eyes was able to bring the crystals back to Joe headquarters. The Joes and Cobra eventually get enough elements to power each of their respective mass devices. Doc hypnotizes Duke, and they realize that Duke gave Selena his ring, which has a unique electronic signal that can be traced. Joes attack Cobra headquarters and save the world. So after that, a real quick synopsis. Let's go into a little more detail with these miniseries. Starting with George, you got any points that made you laugh or you found intriguing? Yeah, well, before I get uh, into that, I actually, um, and maybe you touched on this, but what does mass stand for? You had to ask that, didn't you? I did. After a quick Google search, George was able to find the answer for that. I should have known. I actually remember thinking I should write that down, and I didn't. But he found the answer, so he'll let he'll let us know what it actually means. Yes, the uh, the mass it stands for molecular assembler scrambler sender. What was uh, what was one of your points that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, there, there's a couple of points that I wanted to bring up uh, after I completely sidetracked us. One was, you know, there was a uh, part in there where uh, they were all getting ready to go on their underwater mission, you know, and Torpedo shows up and, and you know, they all jumped in and it was like a bunch of kids, you know. It reminds you that, yeah, they're all serious, but they still like to have some fun. Anybody you talk to in the military, that's, you know, there's shenanigans and whenever they're uh, they're trying to let off a little steam. Another thing that I noticed is, is I find it interesting how there was 
you know, they're super high tech, you know, with these laser rifles, then they turn around and they throw a glider out there, you know, just very low tech, high tech and low tech all, all at the same time. And another, I guess, uh, I want to say not necessarily, well, a little bit awkward, I guess I would say is, uh, when they were all looking in, uh, you know, Duke's memories and he's standing there in his deprivation tank and his underwear and everybody just standing there like they're watching a TV show. Looking into his darkest, deepest memories, he's kind of exposed. I thought that was mildly awkward. Probably awkward for Duke, but some of the team probably didn't mind it. The the ladies more than anything. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. So piggyback off one of yours, one of mine was the underwater scene when they would go down and they were fighting those worms or whatever. I remember, and to this day, that noise when I hear it, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I don't know why. I remember even as a kid, it was that noise, not something I enjoy. I, I agree with that one. It was, uh, I watched it uh, twice now and, and it's weird how your brain comes back, you know, the whole commercial breaks and that first part where they come out and they just start squawking. You're like, Oh, there's a commercial coming. It's just like, you remember just like that. Yeah. Like you said, it's just makes you the hair on the back of your neck. Just stand up. Another one for me was. And this shows kind of when these shows came out was Cobra Commander and Destro like to play Atari just on a little bit bigger scale than most people. <laughs> That's true. Definitely showed the time with a joystick, even looked like an Atari joystick. But my last one is the scene where Scarlet, Snake Eyes, and Stalker infiltrate the satellite base. It's probably one of my favorite overall scenes from any Sunbow episode. The way that they snuck in, the way they introduced those three characters as three people you don't want to mess with. As Jared and I were talking on the episode one and Pat and I on episode two a little bit, how those three stand out because not only because of their character, but because they're the only three that aren't completely olive drab. They're the ones that stick out as so much different than the others. Yeah, I agree. That whole scene, it just showed you in a nutshell, you know, how... This is G.I. Joe. We're here to make it happen no matter what it takes, and we're professionals. All right. With the first miniseries discussed, we're going to roll into the second one, The Revenge of Cobra. We're going to alternate so you guys aren't listening to just me droning on and on. George is going to start this one off. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. All right, let's move on to the second miniseries, Revenge of Cobra. G.I. Joe is transporting the Laser Corps, a technical component that Cobra wants enough that they ambush the Joe's convoy. Duke and Snake Eyes are captured as Cobra airlifts the Laser Corps away. But Cobra Commander is captured by Joe's as well. But Cobra Commander is rescued by the Master of Disguise, Zartan, and his mercenaries, the Dreadnoughts. The Joe's follow the Cobra aircraft that has captured Duke and Snake Eyes, Destro uses Cobra's new weapon and crashes the Sky Strikers of Flint, Roadblock, Mutt, and Junkyard. With the addition of the Laser Core to the two components, Cobra already has Hydromaster and the Ion Correlator. Now Cobra has completed the Weather Dominator. As Flint, Mutt, and Junkyard, and Roadblock, recovering from their crash into the Pit of Chaos, where they are close to being overtaken by Strangler Vines, until they use parts of their crashed Sky Striker to keep the Vines at bay and build a small helicopter to escape the Pit of Chaos. But the Vines grab Roadblock and pull him back into the pit. Roadblock is able to escape when the sun comes out and dries up the Vines. Meanwhile, Duke and Snake Eyes are forced to fight each other, but come up with a plan to get word to contact the Joe base and communicate what Cobra's next target is. Cobra takes aim at Washington, D.C., but the Joes divert the electricity by using energy mirrors. The gathered energy gets sent back to Cobra headquarters, where the feedback sends each of the three pieces of the weather dominator to separate parts of the Earth. Flint and Mutt hire a man by the name of Shipwreck to get them out of the desert. By using a sand boat, they are captured in a sandstorm, and Mutt has to get rescued after being thrown overboard. Now that the weather dominator is broke up into three pieces... The Ion Correlator is on the Island of No Return, the Hydromaster is located in the Palace of Doom, and the Laser Corps on the roof of the world. All while the weather patterns of the world go crazy. The Joes and Cobra split each of their forces to retrieve the parts of the Weather Dominator. 
Spirit and Storm Shadow engage in hand-to-hand combat on the island of No Return. Spirit obtains the Ion Correlator. Lady J, Gung-Ho, and Shipwreck are trapped by a giant stone guardian and cobra robot. Major Blood swoops in and steals the Hydromaster from the Joes. Lady J must rescue Shipwreck and Gung-Ho after a large crevice is created by an earthquake. Roadblock and his new friend Hondalu West sneak their way into Cobra Temple with the Joes and Cobras each having one piece of the Weather Dominator. Zartan begins to explain his true intentions to the Dreadnoughts. The Joes, Cobra, as well as Zartan and the Dreadnoughts all arrive at the roof of the world to battle for the Laser Corps, where ice skates, three-wheelers, and laser rifles are used to play a game of laser hockey. Zartan and the Dreadnoughts ride in, chain the Laser Corps, and steal it from the Joes and Cobras. He announces that the Laser Corps will be sold to the highest bidder. Roadblock and Honolulu attack Cobra Commander and attempt to escape until they are captured by Scrap Iron. They are then brought to the Arena of Sport, where they are reunited with Duke and Snake Eyes, and they all have to fight digital Tron Snakes. Storm Shadow sneaks into the Joe base and steals the Ion Correlator from them, giving Cobra two of the three pieces. Cobra and the Joes locate Zartan's amusement park headquarters, and attempt to get the laser core. Zartan defends his base using robotic, automated amusement park rides. Destro obtains the laser core from Zartan. Duke, Snake Eyes, Roadblock, and Honolulu defeat the Tron Snakes and escape through the sewers of the Cobra Temple. The Joes are able to track Duke's personal tracker and are able to locate the Cobra headquarters. As the Joes attack, Destro uses the Weather Dominator to defend the temple until Roadblock uses De- Destro's old strangler vines to stop Destro from using the Weather Dominator, and the Joes claim victory over Cobra in the final battle. So one of the things that I noticed, the Joes always have a deep command roster with Duke captured and Flint MIA. Scarlet quickly took command and moved forward with gathering the pieces of the Weather Dominator. That's one thing that is true, it seems, in any media is that their their roster is deep when there's somebody missing, there's somebody ready to take up the take up the mantle and get things done. Yeah, they definitely have a really a, a good established chain of command instead of standing around wondering, all right, well, uh who's who's next? Who's gonna draw the short straw? Uh what one of my first points I thought was interesting and it popped in my head even before I started watching this again. At the beginning when they were transporting I forget what piece that was that they were ahead in the convoy. The laser core. There we go. The laser core. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, the the first point that I had was the, when they were transporting at the very beginning, they're transferring the laser core. They're all being careful about it. Got it strapped down really good. And then all of a sudden when they're trying to get it back, oh, it's cool to just shoot at it with a laser gun. It's no big deal. It's not going to blow up or anything. When they're ice skating and shooting it like a hockey puck and, yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And they all put on, they all put on skates like they were uh, putting on Heelys. Just, yeah. oh, instantly, my, my combat boots are now ice skates. Since we're talking about that, that's one of my points is, did Dreadnoughts really carry those their three-wheelers all the way up that mountain? And at tiny, and the tiny little backpacks that they have? Yeah. They need to market that. That would be heavy to climb up that mountain with that stuff. Especially when you had that scene where uh, Zartan was hanging on to all three of them, dangling. He's, He's got, got some, some super serious. strength. He's definitely strong. That was my second one. So what's, what's your okay. next one? Uh, my second one... Not major, but, and they do this other times too, but Honda Lou, when she came into it, you know, I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe she's going to be like they did with Shipwreck. I thought maybe she'd be, you know, one of the Joes. I, of course, know that now that that never happened. I thought, well, maybe she's going to be, you know, get recruited or join them and, and she's going to be a different kind of aid, but it didn't happen that way. She was still a, a good small role. This one and the next one, they did that. They had... uh Shipwreck in this one. Then the third one, they had uh, Quick Kick. That's who it was. Kind of the same way that they showed Shipwreck was they needed rescued, and there they were. It wasn't the whole, uh, hey, we want you to join us. They're like, yeah, I'm here now. I'm just going to hang out with you for a while and just do what you're doing and fly Sky Strikers. Yeah, yeah. yeah Shipwreck just jumped in the Sky Striker and just took off. And it's like, what, not going to check your credentials or you know anything on the You're just part of the team. So that, that's a good point. That's not one that I had on there, but that's a good point because they had... Honolulu in this one to help roadblock. And then the next one, we're kind of getting a little head, but they had Satin. Yes, Satin. That helped Shipwreck and Snake Eyes escape. So they tended to do that. 
And, and they did that in the comics too. These characters that help move the plot along that uh, didn't necessarily become members. So my last one, I liked how the producers in this one seem to expand and help with character development a little more than they did in the first one. You had the interaction between Storm Shadow and Spirit, who later on in further episodes would be an ongoing point whenever they would see each other. And I thought that was just a good way to introduce the characters and get a little more depth. And it's kind of, of like a universe building type thing. So they asked Sumbo did a pretty good job at that. And that kind of rolls into my third one as well. You know, I, you know, watching that and you're like, you know, growing up and even as an adult, I think, oh, you know, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes were the mortal enemies. They're always fighting. And this shows that, no, actually, uh, Snake Eyes didn't really fight Storm Shadow nearly as much as Spirit does and, you know, a couple other characters. And one thing I liked about this miniseries is it brought in Shipwreck, you know, and I think he's probably been one of my favorite characters since well to this day he's still one of my favorites yeah i can tell he's one of your favorites because isn't he the only classified figure that you've got opened at this time yes he is the only uh the only one that will not be sold he's the only one that's come out of the box and he's actually sitting uh, at my uh computer at work people that know who shipwreck is they get it otherwise all they do is just see some sailor standing there but yeah there's a couple of guys that know exactly who he is Anything else before we move on to the third miniseries? Well, one thing that kind of rolls into uh, keeping hold on to Shipwreck, and, and I thought of it this morning, did they ever make that sand sailor a toy? And if they didn't, why didn't they? That would have been perfect on their whole high-tech, low-tech side. No, they never did. And that's something that I could see Super 7 doing, because they, they do a little more obscure, more cartoon-related figures and stuff. They did the. Uh, Woodsman and his dog sled and dogs from the first miniseries, when they first started making the retro, or the reaction figures, I could see them doing something like that at some point. Yeah, when they do those uh, reactions, that you know, I've been kind of looking at that. I know we're kind of talking about toys, but it all runs together. But I was highly disappointed on those. Their knees don't bend. Their you know their arm not like the original three and three quarters. You know, they could at least try to make it somewhat similar to it. Or I would have liked to have seen that Woodsman in classified size. Reaction or Super 7, I don't own any. I can see the allure. They do characters, and I think you showed one to me or talked to me. One with the, was it Duke that has the, the I'd call a lightsaber from this episode? Yeah, they do stuff that nobody else is going to touch. They've got their niche, and I understand it. It's just not something that I, I haven't seen any figures that I go, I have to have that. Not yet. I'm sure they'll come up with one, though. I'm pretty sure that you're going to pick up a few of the sailors and stuff like that when you get your your flag set up. You got to have the filler. Yeah, those, that's what those figures are good for, is that that type of stuff where they're not, they're pretty static, I guess is the way the way I look at it. And I don't want to buy a bunch of shipwreck figures because those are expensive. So let's move on to the third miniseries, The Pyramid of Darkness. Now back to G.I. Joe. The Joes are tasked with protecting the launch of a space shuttle that is en route to G.I. Joe Space Station Delta. Cobra Commander and the Crimson Twins escape by using giant water robots. Flint sends some Joes to follow the water robots. Shipwreck, Snake Eyes, along with Polly and Timber, sneak into the underwater Cobra base. They disguise themselves to gain access to a Cobra subway. Cobra Commander reveals that the attack was a diversion to place special cargo onto the shuttle. The cargo is revealed to be the seemingly harmless creatures called the Fatal Fluffies. Zartan then reveals himself and activates the Fatal Fluffies, and they turn into monstrous creatures that can spit fire. With the help of the Fatal Fluffies, Zartan takes control of the Space Station Delta and fires a laser weapon at the headquarters. Cobra Commander reveals his plan to plunge the world into darkness using Space Station Delta and four cubes placed around the world to create a Pyramid of Darkness. All of the Joes survived after the attack on their headquarters and the USS Flag as their temporary headquarters. Snake Eyes and Shipwreck get a signal out to the Joes that Cobra is beginning to place the cubes around the world, still not knowing what the cubes are going to be used for. Flint and Lady J lead a team to try and stop Destro from placing the first cube. 
but the two get caught in the red sludge goo and have an intimate moment in a protective bubble. Meanwhile, Shipwreck and Snake Eyes are being chased by Cobra troops after being discovered while stealing a laser disc that contains the construction details of the cubes. After finding their way above ground, Snake Eyes and Shipwreck walk into a bar with a singer named Jem, I mean Satin. Satin helps them escape in the bar and their Cobra pursuers. Snake Eyes breakdances, there are some bad costumes and questionable dancing, including Timber. Tomax and Zabot place another cube in the City of the Dead, and Major Blood begins placement of his cube in the Arctic, where Alpine and Mazooka are trapped under an avalanche. After surviving the avalanche, they are caught on an ice chunk in the water by Storm Shadow. They are then rescued by Quick Kick, who defeats Storm Shadow and the Cobra troops. Meanwhile, in the City of the Dead, Joes are attacked by Stone Warriors and Cobra are attacked by Skeleton Warriors with lightsabers. Roadblock captures Tomax and the Joes are surprised when they hurt one the twin, the other one feels it. Destro and the Baroness are sent to a place, the last cube, in the Sea of Lost Souls. The Joes launch an attack from the USS Flag, but are not able to stop Destro from activating the last cube. Zaymont and the Crimson Guards rescue Tomax from his prison cell on board the USS Flag. Not long after the Pyramid of Darkness is activated, Tomax and Zaymont launch a flare that signals the Dreadnoughts aboard Space Station Delta to capture Zartan and take control of the Space Station and the Pyramid. At the time, Tomax and Zaymont capture Cobra Commander. Alpine, Bazooka, and Quick Kick commandeer a Cobra airship, but are soon ambushed and the airship is shot down. They then use Trouble Bubbles to commandeer a Cobra helicopter mid-air. The Joes are frustrated with not having any power. Snake Eyes and Shipwreck arrive at Joe headquarters with a cube construction laser disc. Aboard the space station Delta, Junkyard steals the fatal fluffy whistle from the Dreadnoughts. The Joes then take back the station from the Dreadnoughts and Zartan, turning power to the world for now. With power restored, the Joes are able to read the laser disc and get the information that they need to stop the cubes. Destro and the Baroness restore the Pyramid of Darkness using a low-altitude power source. During the time Alpine, Bazooka, and Quick Kick are flying into Joe headquarters, power is lost to their helicopter and they crash into the Joe headquarters. Since the three amigos have been to the Cobra Temple, the Joes know where to attack to destroy the cubes. With the power intermittently cycling on and off, the Joes attack the temple, Alpine yodels, and causes a rock slide taking out the Cobra defenses. The Joes turn off the cube controls and save the day. What's your first point on this? Uh, these episodes, George? i got a good handful of them, but I'll get you. The first one that pops up is right at the beginning. I find it interesting that they were in that convoy and it was a, a land battle, but yet they were using sharks for their air defense. But then again, I guess when they had to turn around and start chasing Cobra Commander, I guess they were already set for that. Plan for the worst and hope for the best, I guess. Yeah, the Sharks, those were introduced in 84, and this was in 85. With them writing it, they knew that, hey, we're going to be close to water. Let's try to sell this. Because they were still on the market in 85, the Sharks were. So they're still trying to sell those toys. And what a great way to show that, hey, you can fly it, and you can take it underwater. So Yeah, they were able to sell their product without having to hire commercials for it all the time. That's what this whole thing was. You don't realize it until you go back and watch it. Strategic product placement. The one that I had, and it's kind of a funny one, and it came up in our description or our synopsis. You could tell it was the mid-80s because of the type of music and the dancing and the costumes. That is one part that the rest of the series is great. If they hadn't included that, that would have been just a little bit better. But you got to understand the times, too. Yeah, I, I agree. And that kind of rolls into my uh, my next one. It's, it was a cross between the old real life military and new. And that was, you know, when you notice on the carrier, all the uh, the chauvinism they had, you know, is, oh, this, this aircraft carrier is not a place for a woman, you know, and they were showing that, hey, no, women can be here too. This is what we do. It wasn't one of my points, but you brought it up. It's very good because from the beginning, G.I. Joe was inclusive. We talked about it, you know, with Stalker and Scarlet in the toys and the comics, and even here in the, in the cartoons. Like you mentioned, Lady J's pretty much told off the Admiral that, hey, I'm just as good as the rest of the guys, and the very good messages that were intertwined in the storyline. 
pretty sure that Lady J could go toe-to-toe with anybody on that aircraft carrier and take care of business. Absolutely. My, I have two more that they're just kind of real quick snips that, where did Polly come from? Polly wasn't with Shipwreck in the first one, you know, when he first came on scene. I don't know if you know, if maybe he maybe picked them up somewhere along in the comic books. I, I really don't know. I'm not up on the comic book stories. You know, I never noticed that. Could I? He, you're <laughs> right. He wasn't included in the Weather Dominator miniseries mini Revenge of Cobra. And as far as Polly in the comics, Larry Hama didn't include Polly in the comics in the Marvel run. They must have just realized, hey, he, that's another selling point. Let's put him in this one. The other quick little snip that I happened to notice this morning when I was kind of finishing up watching them, when they were on, when was it Quick Kick, Alpine, and Bazooka were on that plane that was crashing, and Quick was like, hey, let's just take the, the trouble bubbles. And I'm like, how does he know what a trouble bubble is? He just joined the team 20 minutes ago. See, you got some interesting points because I never thought of that. And that's where I like this different eyes. You're seeing things that some of us take for granted just because it's, well, it's always been there. So let's just assume. Maybe he had the toy at home. Who knows? The last point that I have, and it rolls into the previous miniseries, Cobra likes their big mechanical robots. In Revenge of Cobra, they had the big snake-headed thing that attacked in the, what was it, the Palace of Doom or whatever that was? Yeah, the Palace of Doom. And then in this one, they had the big water robots. You think they do more damage than what they did, but they, Cobra really likes their big robots. All right. Anything else to discuss about this? any of these miniseries? I do have to say that that big jet that they had that they stole, I thought that was a pretty cool jet that should have been made into a toy. The Cobra-headed one? That, was, that one was yes. pretty cool. That shows up a few times in all the episodes. I thought that Super 7 was going to do that instead of the big airship that they're doing, the cobra-shaped flying wing type. Yeah, that would be something that I'm surprised they didn't make a toy of. And when they were fighting, I wonder if it was on the reef with the Baroness and they had like their version of the whale. I'm like, that thing is cool because Cobra really didn't do a whole lot of watercraft. You know, they had the... The moccasin, that was it. I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, their version of. In the comics and the cartoons, there's a lot of things that were introduced early on because Cobra didn't have as many vehicles as Joe, that artists and creators came up with their own vehicles. In the comic book, in the first 10, 12 episodes, there's some really neat vehicles that should have made it in toys and they never did. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that was like they're, you know, they're just trying to throw stuff out there and see what's stuck and, you know, see what the people want. I think some of it's similar to when we were talking about Honolulu West and Satin, that they needed those off characters to move the story along. It's similar with the vehicles. They had to some way to get out to the water. I'm sure some fan somewhere has made a, a version of it, which brings up a point in the in this the last miniseries, The Pyramid of Darkness, in a very small portion, or like it's like two or three seconds, if that, there is a double turret hiss tank they show Cobra Commander in. I will post a picture of it when this episode releases on my Facebook and, and Twitter account, and we'll include it in the YouTube video as well, of a custom that I made, a double turret his tank. So I'm sure that somewhere out there, someone's made a custom of most of these vehicles. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you're not alone in that, that world of making things that they didn't make. There are some great customizers out there that blow me out of the water and can do some amazing things. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. So now that we have discussed all three of the miniseries, all three had different storylines, but there were still some similarities among them. Similarities that you don't really notice as a kid. I know we've discussed some of them. We've got a list of some big ones here that I noticed. Were there any other, any of that you noticed, George? One of them that I noticed that Duke is always getting caught no matter what he's doing you know he's always getting caught by cobra i think he spends just as much time with cobra as he does his own team that is definitely a joke amongst the community that and it's not just in the miniseries there's single episodes where i remember one it was called the where the synthoid conspiracy duke got captured there and yeah he is constantly he should have his own access card or something <laughs> at least his own chair at the table yeah so one of the things i noticed was that the MacGuffin device that they always used, it was some sort of thing that they had to go and capture. And as, as I was looking this up, I thought, you know, that word MacGuffin is used 
quite often and we've been using it. So I want to kind of give it a quick definition. A MacGuffin is an object, a device, or event that is necessary to plot and the motivation of the characters. So in all three of these, they all, you know, whether it was the mass device, the weather dominator, or the pyramid of darkness, they had, they were split up or they had to go and defend things. It's very similar in the same structure. The storylines were distinct enough that they had their own structure and you can still tell them apart. Another one that I noticed too, you know, and, it, and I guess it kind of, it's almost a given or a, an expected, you know, it is called G.I. Joe, Real American Hero. It's not called Cobra. We always lose, it, you know, but Cobra always loses. G.I. Joe always wins. And, and it spins off of that is not all the time, but Cobra Commander's arrogance, it gets him in trouble. You know, whether he uses all the materials for the mass device or he makes Destro do something with a weather dominator before it's ready to be used that way. And then that's what blows it up. Not always the cause, but he is generally the cause to their failure. Yeah. And some of that is the people he has around him, too. Like in the Pyramid of Darkness, the twins were sneaking behind his back, paying Zartan to control the Pyramid of Darkness. So there's truth into your success is who you have around you. So one of the last ones that I, one of the things I noticed is always that final battle, which is a massive assault on usually a Cobra base. Just one of those things that any good movie or cartoon has. Yeah, that is, that's true. You've always got to have that grand finale of everything coming together and, and clicking and getting the job done. All right. So we've covered three miniseries over 15 episodes and what some would consider some of the best episodes of the Sunbow series. But now it's time to pick our personal favorites from these episodes that we have discussed today. I anticipate that on the next cartoon episode, we would choose our top three favorite episodes of the ones that we have covered. But this time, I think we should pick our favorite of the three miniseries. So, George, I'm going to let you go first since you're the co-host. What's your favorite of the three? I would have to say it's kind of a it's a it's a toss up, but I'm going to have to go with the Revenge of Cobra. My second favorite would be the Pyramid of Darkness. The Revenge of Cobra, mainly because, well, that's where Shipwreck comes in. Like we said, he's my favorite. The bad weather came into play for both sides. It kind of, you know, just like it does with anything else you're trying to get done. You know, you're trying to do yard work or whatever, and the weather interferes. You know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it it didn't affect just G.I. Joe. It it affected both teams. And, of course, there's the part where uh, Duke was fighting with a lightsaber. I kind of wish he would have held on to it and... And used it in, in future episodes. Here in the Longbox Crusade, there's a show, Action Film Face Off. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. You've got Jared and Jason. And part of the charm of that is they do a thing that's called Match Game. Well, George and I got similar tastes. And again, this is the Match Game because Revenge of Cobra is my favorite as well. Just the character development. The storyline, the introduction of the characters, and it just seemed they ratcheted it up a notch from the first miniseries. It was just all-out action. The animation was a little bit better, I noticed. My second would probably be the first miniseries with the mass device. The third one was okay, but eh, just some of the elements with the the singing and the dancing dog and stuff just kind of puts it behind the other two. So, before we close out the cartoon discussion, I want to bring up a few points that tie the toys, comics, and cartoons together. First one, Timber was introduced in the Mass Device miniseries and became a toy in 1985 with Snake Eyes version 2 and quickly became a fan favorite. The Baroness was introduced in the first issue of G.I. Joe comic book and became a character in the cartoon and a toy. Crimson Guards, Buzzer, Ripper, and Torch figures were not released until 1985 but they were in the Revenge of Cobra miniseries that was broadcast in 84. Why is this significant? When these figures were released in 1985, they still had the swivel neck instead of the ball joint neck that was the new design for 1985. These figures were held back for some reason in 84 and released a year later in 1985. We also see Snake Eyes in his V2 uniform in the Revenge of Cobra, but he is released in 1985 with a ball joint neck not the swivel neck. So that just shows how the toys, comics, cartoons all related to each other and fed off each other. I'm going through the whole run. George, any further comments before we move on to our final segment? Yeah, I've got a a fistful of them. And one of the questions I had was the fatal fluffies. Where did Cobra find them? 
they're not a known creature of our world. You know, what, how did they get their hands on those guys? In my head canon, they made him some kind of Cobra lab or something. And maybe that's what Dr. Mindbender was doing before he before. was. Uh, another one was, is uh, you had Doc. Doc wasn't your typical Doc. You saw him in the first one. He was fighting the battles. And then he goes around with the, uh, the weather dominator. All of a sudden, he's an engineer, a creator of this mirror, and he's running all kinds of high-tech stuff that has nothing to do with with the doc. I, th- I thought that was interesting how he did that stuff. He must have had a lot of PhDs in engineering, design, physics. He was their go-to for a lot of that stuff. He was their breaker before breaker. <laughs> well, breaker was there, and I was, I was going to comment on that because they had Flash, and they had some other guys in their file card had some design and engineering skills, but I don't know if it's because of animation or voice, or it was just easier to have one character do it all. That's possible. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on too, that I, I didn't know where to slide it in was the vehicle capacity in these scenes, you know, with sky striker, it was two seats. And next thing you know, there's four seats. And then the, uh, his tank, it's a two seater. And next thing you know, there's a cockpit in there that they're just standing around talking. The same thing goes with the, the dragonfly was sometimes a two seater and sometimes it would seat four people. And then the rattlers were the same thing. I just, I, I'm like, okay, well, how many seats are I supposed to have here? That's, it was interesting how they did that. That was the, uh, the hiss ranch edition, the extra space, extra room. But yeah, I noticed that when uh shipwreck jumped in the sky striker, there's multiple seats. I'm like, well, there shouldn't be that much room in there. <laughs> No, it was, it was probably just easier to draw in another seat than it was to have, you know, carry on this conversation between two different vehicles. And and I get it, but I just, I always thought that was interesting watching it again as an adult. Yeah. Those are the things you pick up that you just kind of blow off as a kid. You don't think about it until you realize, wait a minute, that's not right. So now we are going to move on to our last segment, which is military surplus. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Here at the Outpost, on each episode, besides discussing the toys, comics, and cartoons of the highlighted year, we discuss a peripheral item related to G.I. Joe. This episode, we are going to discuss the Sears Wish Books. It's here, the new Sears Wish Book, and oh, what a wish book. It's so easy to make wishes come true with the new Sears Wish Book. I know that I spent many hours looking and poring over these catalogs, dreaming of what we could possibly get for Christmas. Every year, the, I would go to the toy section, and it wasn't just G.I. Joe. It was Thundercats, He-Man, Mask, all that stuff that you sit there and just pour over. For this segment, we're going to use 3djoes.com. They have a section there that highlights each year of the Sears Wish Book. So we're just going to go through, scroll through, discuss what we see something we didn't realize, or something we remember. All right, so 1982 was the first year of the toys, of course. One of the things that sticks out to me is the three-pack of figures there. And if you notice, they've got Scarlet, Snake Eyes, and Stalker all three together. And that's just weird. I thought that they would put each of those with the other two, more of the OD green ones. But look at the description off to the right there, number six. Explosives Commando, Submachine Gunner, Ranger, and Counterintelligence Officer. That was their description of the figures. <laughs> that was their yeah, that was not their names. But we we all know we can figure out who's who. Oh yeah. I like the price too. Uh yeah, that would be amazing. If something catches your eye, George, on eighty two. I do like that they, you know, would put a figure with most of these vehicles. That so you didn't buy just the toy, except for the uh the pit the launch pad. In 82, that launch pad was sold separately, but then in 83, they would put the silver pads Grand Slam with it. Look at that tent, number 11 there. Yeah, I wonder if any of those still exist to this day. I'm sure they are, but they're probably a little rough. Got all the mice holes in them. Now, didn't we have G.I. Joe sleeping bags? One of us had that one. We had uh, He-Man. We had He-Man, I think. You didn't have the glowworm one? No, sorry. You had the little <laughs> my little pony though. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a running joke. Now the Cobra missile base, that was a Sears exclusive. You could only buy that from Sears and probably I don't know if you could buy them in store, but That's all cardboard, isn't it? Pretty much. It's all cardboard. Yeah. 
Yeah, not very many of these, if any, exist anymore. I saw one on Facebook this past week because they wanted $1,000 for it. And it's probably worth, if you're into that, that's worth every yep. penny of it. Not on my checkbook. Anything about 82? Anything else? Not that I'm seeing. The G.I. Joe personnel carrier holds 28 members of the G.I. Joe team. Let's go! Go get the new members of the G.I. Joe team! 1983. The first thing I noticed was there's a lot more to offer. 82 stuff was still available, but they also had the 83 stuff they were introducing. So what's the first thing that pops off the page to you? First thing that jumps out, I'd have to say the uh, carrier. Because I want to say, you know what? That is probably the first vehicle we had. I remember having that. I remember that. I'd have to say that was my first one. It's crazy how things jog your memory, isn't it? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, no, we don't have seatbelts, though. The one I have now, I got the seatbelts for. I didn't realize I did until I was going through my totes again. Because you just assume the seatbelts aren't there. Well, yeah, they, not many of them survived. Because they stretch and they break. Same as the tow cable on the, uh, the mall or Wolverine later on. So the first thing I noticed is if you, I don't know if you can zoom in or not, but on the left side in front of the vamp, there's the fang. And who is sitting in that fang? Yeah, that's not a Cobra character. That's, that's not a sure. Cobra. I think that's no. Clutch. It looks like so Clutch, he is yeah. sitting in the Fang. That's crazy. I remember buying the Fang from the store. I do remember the Fang. That's for sure. That was one of those small toys that you could buy pretty easily with two weeks of allowance. You know, and then you got the big thing for the year, the G.I. Joe headquarters. I wanted that thing for so long and never got it. Do you have one now? I have one and a half, almost two now. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Then they had the Dragonfly, the Sky Striker. What'd they get for the Sky Striker back then? Seventeen ninety-nine. Oh my gosh. And I think if wow. you put inflation into that, it comes to less than fifty bucks. And this is the year the, the hits was introduced, which would be a staple for Cobra for decades. I like that uh train set. I was just gonna bring that up. I'd have to say I'd take the headquarters for the price over the train set though. Thirty two. Yeah, I'd take the headquarters, too. You can't use your vehicle's figures with that train set, so I'm going to buy something I can. And you got snow job. A little patch of snow. They got them in there. Anything else about 83? No, 83, that's that's about all I see. 84. They got two or three different kinds of walkie-talkies there? Yeah, I only remember the R, the little handheld, not the ones with the headset. I don't remember the big stuff. I vaguely remember the headset ones. And there's your sleeping bag that you were talking about. Yeah, that tent is a lot cooler than the first one. That's an inside tent. Seems like a little more room, a little more structure to it. More room for activities. And looking at the toys, there's an introduction of the uh, shark I see. And there's Zartan. A few more different figs. uh, The whale was new this year. The water moccasin. See, they didn't really include anything from the previous year other than the headquarters. And the Sky Striker. Well, what's that tank C slugger? There we go. That was new for 84. So really, they scaled down previous year's stuff. You know, they had the ones that came out, the Baroness, Firefly, Storm Shadow, Scrap Iron, and the Joe side, the Blowtorch. Not as big as display. It's like they brought on more figures than they did vehicles. But don't worry. I think they make up for it in 85. Speaking of which, let's roll right in 85. And what's the first thing you see? Other than Quick Kick? I see the flag. Introducing the G.I. Joe USS Flag Aircraft Carrier. Imagine being on the deck of this aircraft carrier. I see at least four shipwrecks. I see five shipwrecks. Five, five yep. six. Six. I see. There's one up top. <laughs> yep. Oh, off to the left, there's two more. Yep, you're right. Yeah, up towards the, uh, the bow. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they were troop building shipwrecks. But now this year, of course, you got the USS Flag. And then you've got a little bit smaller playset, the Tactical Battle Platform, which is one of my favorites. I really like that one because it had a lot going on, but yet it oh. wasn't huge. What else do you see before I start rambling on about a few things? Oh, I've got the bridge layer and the whale. They changed the color of the Hiss. Uh, that is a Sears exclusive. The Hiss tank, that Crimson Hiss, and the Black Mobat are both Sears exclusives. Okay. How do I remember seeing the uh, the black tank, the Cobra tank? You know, the his tank is the one I remember. I didn't ever realize that they had a, a second one. Off to the right, 
middle of the page. I remember having that yellow or that blue helicopter. Yeah, what brand was that? That wasn't G.I. Joe. Off brand. It, it would fit the G.I. Joe's, though, wouldn't it? I remember using it for G.I. Joe. Yeah. yeah. If anybody yeah. had half a brain when they were making that stuff, they, they knew to make sure it fit G.I. Joe and you would sell them. And they knew where to put it in the catalog, too. <laughs> yep. They knew where to put their ad. Number six, right by the tactical battle platform and the mauler. What is missing from that pack? One of the dreadnoughts. That's weird that they would have the six pack and not have all three dreadnoughts in there. Or do a four pack with all three in Zartan. Wow, Zartan came with his swap skier. That's true. That's true. You can at least put all three of those guys together. Yeah. I'm just thinking they wanted to get those troop builders together. The yep. Televiper, Crimson Guard, Eel, and Snow Serpent. Yeah, that's true. Troop builder packs would have been a smart way to go, too. I don't know if people Maybe, were in, into troop building nearly as much back then as they are these days. Back in the day, if you got one of the figures, you were happy. Why Why would I buy a second one? I already got it. So, <laughs> yep, there's other ones to have. Why would I want yeah. more than one? It didn't really come around until everybody started recollecting. Anything else on 85? The only thing I see is that, that, well, the hydrofoil, that was cool, but it was no whale. 86. Oh, my. I remember getting the Terradrome for Christmas. I don't know if I even got or what I got that year. I I remember. All right. What did I get? You got the Night Raven. Another looking at Cobra's supersonic jet, the Raven. Cobra Raven. Cobra Raven. There's no haven from the Cobra Raven. Uh, yes, the Night Raven. You're right. I did. I remember having it. I just forgot I was the one that got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember the Terradrome. I think you got, didn't you get the, the Thunder Machine for Christmas? And I got Sergeant Slaughter for one of them? Or was it vice well, versa? Well, then when did we get the stun? Because I remember seeing it. Oh, you, you had the stun. That's right. So that's where our collection, I know, got mixed up. And at some point, it was one big collection. Did we ever get a tomahawk? I, I think we did, but I don't think it was that I don't, same. I don't think we did. If we did, it was years later. Yeah. But I don't think we yeah. ever had the tomahawk. Okay. And, and I might have played with, you know, one of my friends might have had it, and that was when I was playing with it. I don't know. Yep. I, I remember playing with it, but I just don't remember where. I remember having the Havoc. Yes, the Havoc. This was a big year for us, I think. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. our missing character. Isn't, isn't that... Or is that Monkey Wrench? No, that's, that's Monkey Wrench. Okay. Yeah, that was the, but at least they had the three new Dreadnoughts in the same yeah. pack this year. Yeah. Who are our Joes that they brought on here? They're showing Sci-Fi, Hawk, Low Light, Dial Tone, Leatherneck, and Beachhead. In that oh, pack. Leatherneck. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. blurry on my screen. I couldn't quite figure out okay. who that was. Leatherneck. Okay. The big year for toys and, and us. Yes. Yeah, the Terradrome was a lot of fun. Oh man! Yeah, we never did get a conquest. No, nope. I think you've got you've got one now, though, don't you? Yeah, I do. I've got one full, and I'm working on my second one. Anything else on '86? I see this camouflage case coming up. I wonder how many people used those. What they were intended for? You know, that was a good. That way was to in '85 too. Yeah, it was. I'm sure it was a handy yep. little camouflage case. Holds up to 18 mil figure military action figures. It's not official G.I. Joe. It's just some something they were trying to sell. And that flag doesn't look nearly as big as the year before. Well, they don't have the kids sitting there. Right. Well, it wasn't so, their flagship of the year. They were trying to get the Terradrome no. out there. Oh, that's all I got. 86. Yeah. 87, no information on 3D Joe's catalog. So if anybody out there has a 1987 Sears wish book, contact them on Facebook or Twitter. And they would be more than happy to get some scans from you. So 1988, my first question for you, George, is do you remember having any of these? And do you remember or were you, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were kind of getting, even though you were younger, you didn't stay in Joe as long as I did. No, I must have correctly. I must have been getting out of it. You know, I, I'm a, I remember some of these these vehicles, like number 10. I remember, of course, the, the uh, Iron Grenadiers. I remember that. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was getting out of it because these don't really look all that familiar. The All-Terrain Cobra Bug, that's a goofy-looking rig. 
it is funky looking. And then Commando Force. I actually recently picked up a couple of these figs. Oh, really? Yeah, I just got them in the mail yesterday. Uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. which I'll, have to, I'll have to send you some photos of them. Of course, there's no weapons or anything like that, but they're. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was it's Commando Force that I've got. It's definitely a a GI Joe spinoff of the two characters I have. The other one that looks similar to this is I think it's called America's Defense. American Defense. Okay. So it may be some of those too from Remco. I know if anybody's oh. going to know, you'll you'll know as soon as you see the picture exactly what they are, what year they came out, and what they're supposed to have with them kind of thing. I'll have an idea of where to start. I know yeah. that. <laughs> you'll get it a lot quicker than I will. But yeah, this year, 88, I was still into it. I liked the Iron Grenadiers. Destro's leading the Iron Grenadiers! Destro is an awesome new foe, but nobody beats the And it was the first really subset that I got into that I could start and collect all of from the beginning. Even when I was out of collecting in in 90 or so, I still picked up some of the Iron Grenadier figures because, well, I have to finish it. The way that Hasbro had Destro kind of create his own army was really intriguing to me at the time. So that demon, and they don't have, wow, they don't have the AGP, which is was the one of Destro's flying vehicles. They didn't offer that one at Sears. Other than Sears, who was the big uh, Joe carriers back then? You know, I know Kmart uh, carried stuff, but... In our area, Myers. Okay. Walmart was getting into it. Target was starting to ramp up. How do we forget Toys R Us? Toys R Us, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, and actually, in 88, Toys R Us had the Night Force figures. Okay. So that was a Toys R Us exclusive. Yeah, between Sears and Toys R Us, that's where you went if you were oh, yeah. looking for, for everything. Yep. I always remember looking at that Rolling Thunder and going, that thing is crazy huge. It was only $30 in 88. That's crazy. That's yeah, that's, crazy. A, and that, that's another one of those that there's there's a lot going on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, what is that little slide or something that was off to the side? Is that a little vehicle that he? Yeah, that's a, a vehicle, a scout vehicle. Okay. That would fit, it would fit in there when it's all folded up. No kidding. Huh. Yep. So the, there's your camouflage box again. At three years strong. Four no. years strong. I'll bet you it was an 87. We just don't have proof. I bet. If I remember right, you had the Warthog, didn't you? With the uh, Sergeant Slaughter? You know, I it looks familiar, but I don't remember if I did or not. I It's very possible that I did have that one. And who is that hardball? That uh, I remember there? one of us having it. That's hardball in there. I don't remember it came with Sergeant Slaughter, the one with the hat that came off. Okay. When they had, they got lost all the time. Can't be any worse than his little uh, baton that came with all his other versions. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Well, isn't that Sergeant Slaughter? Is that Leatherneck that's in the the Mean Dog? In the front seat, that is the driver of the Mean Dog. Uh, What was his name? You had to ask me his name, didn't you? I did. Wildcard. Yep. I was just going to say Wildcard figure. I remember it started with a W. To me, these are some good figures I remember getting back in the day. Yeah, I don't ever remember seeing, was 10 ever in a cartoon? Not in a Sunbow cartoon. It was okay. in a DIC cartoon, which yeah. we'll be getting to at some point. The DIC cartoons that some people call Dicks or Deeks. They were definitely a grade below Sunbow. I think that's everything yeah. in, at this time. Yep, and that's the last catalog they have in here. I'm sure there were others, but I can only go off of what we have on the screen anything to add to some of the nostalgia and what you remember is sitting down and going through these things oh i i remember that as soon as it came in i think we would actually fight over who got to look at it first we fought over a lot of things i'm sure this was yeah, one of them i'm sure it was. <laughs> i'm sure we're not alone in that that brotherly uh battle no yeah you can't tell me these two kids in 85 that they shared that flag i'm sure they were fighting over who got to play with it first even though there's plenty of room. Yeah, whose room was it in? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whose room was it in? Like the thing's six foot long, seven foot long. You guys can play with it at the same time. Anything else to add to anything we've talked about today? No, I think I touched on everything uh, that I had notes on. Thank you for joining George and I for this episode of G.I. Joe Outpost. If our listeners want to contact me, you can find me on Facebook as Jim Meal, J-I-M-M-I-E-L. 
or on Twitter as Jim the Joe Junkie. I want to thank everyone at the Longbox Crusade Network for adding G.I. Joe Outpost to their extensive line of shows. Take a listen to all the other shows that are on the Longbox Crusade on any podcatcher. And if you like what you hear, go to Patreon and become a Crusader Club member where you will get all the access. I want to thank George for spending time with me this morning, uh, reminiscing and going over the cartoon. Anything else you want to add, George? Yeah, you can find me uh, on Facebook at George Meal, G-E-O-R-G-E-M-I-E-L. I also have, uh, it's called Meals, Steals, and Deals on Facebook as well. If you're ever looking for anything G.I. Joe related, toy related, if you're looking for it, I'll find it. But I do have news for you. If Jim wants it, he gets it first. Yeah, that is part of what I was talking about. He fuels my collecting habit a little bit more than uh, would be if I was doing it on my own. He finds stuff that I would never find just because of different areas that we're, we live in at the time. So, again, thank you, George, for coming. Join me and my co-host next time as we discuss the 1983 G.I. Joe vehicles and figures. Dismissed. The music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. You will not regret it.